Welcome to The Deep Pacific, a Pacifica podcast that shares Islander views and voices. I'm Kalani Regis, your millennial, indigenous, cis-hetero, science nerd of a host. We are recording in the last week of June 2020, Pride Month, coming to an end, but the thanks that we give to the LGBTQIA community will never stop. Black lives also still matter. Black women and trans lives matter in particular. This work never ends. I would like to begin with the acknowledgement that I am recording on Guahan, Islas Marianas, currently a territory occupied by the U.S. I am not from here, so I am a settler. Although I am Chamorro, it is still with respect that I occupy this land and space. I would like to make you, my friend, aware of the fact that I, a cis-hetero woman, am doing this episode with my biases and upbringing exerting an influence that I might not be aware of. I tried my best to be sensitive to everyone's preferences, hopefully in a way that is normalized. This is just how I try to be, though I am by no means perfect. We begin every episode with a quote from an indigenous person that resonates. Today's quote is an excerpt from a poem entitled, The Ocean is Hella Gay. When I came out, I was the first one out of all of us to do it. It wasn't on my terms. And it wasn't from a closet, no. Our people don't come from closets. They come from land and water. And I told you, I am constantly learning the difference between loving the ocean and becoming one. And I think I'm an ocean, y'all. And I didn't come out. I fell out. That was an excerpt from the poem, The Ocean is Hella Gay by Teresa Siagotonu. Teresa is an award-winning poet, arts educator, therapist, mental health and Pacific Islander advocate, and community organizer who has roots in Samoa and identifies as queer. Thank you, Teresa, for creating space in the community for our queer and awesome Pacifica to find themselves. As an ally, I truly appreciate the work that she does. She also has a book of poems entitled, Remember We Have Choir Practice, that is out and only $15. I will link her website in the show notes for you to check her out. I highly recommend that you do. Anyway, this quote resonates because this episode will be about our LGBTQIA plus Pacifica people, how they are seen in our cultures, what kinds of roles they play in our societies, and how they want to shake things up. You will hear from Tea Tuhere of Tahiti, Neno of the Marshall Islands, Shaw, who has roots in Palau, Bryant of the Philippines, RT, who has roots in Guahan and Chuk, and Rokin, Ginen Guahan. And we will end with a discussion of a scientific paper from 2019 that spills the tea on how often our communities have been included in clinical research studies funded by the U.S. National Institutes of Health. I would also like to mention that the first 25 reviewers of this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, will be sent our first round of waterproof vinyl stickers for your hydro flasks, yetis, and laptops. So please review us, and then we will be in contact with you to send you your sticker by helping us spread the word. So let's do it. Let's dive in. Before we get into it, shall we define some terms? 
The full acronym is LGBTQIA+, an umbrella term used to refer to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, intersex, and asexual peoples. This is not an exhaustive list. There are different ways people choose to define their gender and sexuality as they have a right to because in the end, what does it matter to others what I want to define myself as? For the purposes of my flow, I will be using the umbrella term queer, although some may not identify as queer. I hope that's okay. The driving question for this episode is, how much do you know about queer Pacifica and their treatment within your community and culture. I am happy to say that all of our contributions have been submitted by people intimately familiar with this community of Pacifica peoples because they are a part of it and they are living through its experiences every day and are surviving or are thriving. Another few terms I would like to define, a cis person spelled C-I-S is someone who identifies as the gender that they are born with. A hetero person is someone who is attracted to those of the quote-unquote opposite sex, also referred to as straight people, like myself. As underrepresented perspectives in a space dominated by cis-hetero people, queer voices like the ones you are about to hear from are important and must be highlighted. As Shah from Palau defined herself as an anomaly within an anomaly, queer Pacifica are the anomalous if you view them from the colonized perspective, which on top of being minorities within the US and other larger countries that almost no other person knows about, we do seem like anomalies, don't we? Thankfully, the hood of colonization has been lifted for some of us. Some of us are opening our eyes to the view that shows us that the entire Pacific Ocean is large and encompasses our islands like a mother cradles her children. She is what unites us. We are bigger than what colonizers have allowed us to be. And we just need to recognize that. Kind of like what Toa said in the last episode on language. And... As much as I wish it could be someone other than myself, someone more familiar with this community navigating this topic, I am also privileged to be the person navigating this space alongside you because I know I'll at least try to make these connections meaningful and will try to do this question justice. Back to our question, what would you answer if someone asked you that? How much do you know about queer Pacifica people within your communities and cultures and how they get treated? Yorana, hello, bonjour. My name is Teotuahili and I will be talking to you about Pacifica sexuality. The first question is how are people of different sexualities treated in your culture? As a bisexual Tahitian woman growing up in the Kingdom of Hawaii, I have seen the differences and similarities in how the LGBT community is treated in each place. In Tahiti, trans women are common and are generally accepted within society. The Tahitian words for trans women are mahu and re-re. Mahu can also be used to describe gay men. I don't know of a Tahitian word for LGBT women. I have asked family if they knew a word for LGBT women in Tahitian, and none of them knew either. Gay men and trans women are more accepted in Tahitian society, but this is not to say that they are accepted altogether. 
colonization has influenced many Tahitians towards homophobia and transphobia. Gay women do exist in Tahiti, but I personally have never met another LGBT Tahitian woman. Gay women in Tahiti are often forced into the restrictive description of short hair and male-associated clothing. Feminine queer women, like me, are rare. I would like to preface my experience in Hawaii as a queer woman by saying that though I am of the Pacific, I am a settler in the illegally occupied kingdom of Hawaii. As a settler on illegally occupied land, it is my responsibility to stand behind Kanaka as Kanaka fight for sovereignty. In Hawaii, transgender women, gay men, and gay women are more widely accessible than in Tahiti. Population density definitely plays a large role in this, but I digress. LGBT presence in Hawaii must not be confused with acceptance here. My LGBT family face homophobia and transphobia here due to the teaching forced by colonization. For many, it seems that being LGBT doesn't matter to them as long as you're not in their family. It seems like it's okay as long as there's distance. Toxic masculinity and this deeply rooted fear of femininity has created a harmful environment soaked in homophobia. Our indigenous pre-contact definition of love did not know boundaries or sexuality or gender. Love was love. Love is love. But not everyone in our communities feel this way. Colonization has confused their definition of love and made it restrictive. Dating other women in Hawaii, I have felt the stares. I am lucky. I have never known brutality at the hands of homophobia. Like so many of my LGBT family, I have only known discomfort and judgmental looks. LGBT people are brave beyond words. Feminine women like me have a tendency to be hypersexualized, while our gay brothers and trans sisters are often brutalized. I have felt the men stare at us as they watch us kiss or hold hands, as though our love is free pornography. I have seen the aunties who have only ever seen me as another local girl look at me in disgust. I have always been mistaken for Hapa when I am Tipe, part Tahitian. This common mistake has placed me as belonging here, until I kiss her on the cheek and pull her close and then it is made clear that I do not belong. My LGBT Pacifica family, homophobia and transphobia are not inherent in our cultures. They were taught to us by our colonizers. I am so sorry this world has been unkind to you. I hope one day we can love without fear. My LGBT Feiti'i, please stay safe. My trans sisters of color, please stay safe. We are of the Pacific, one sea connecting our love in the current. We are not alone. I was 13 when I realized I liked girls too. The friends I had in childhood, the ones I always liked too much, it all finally made sense. I was 14 when I first fell in love with another girl. We were sitting in one of the more high-end chairs our public school could afford. We sat facing each other. She was in the back row and I was in the front. We kept looking at each other and smiling, laughing, I had never seen her before, but it felt like I had known her for lifetimes. We never dated. Maybe I was too scared to bring home a girl. My dad told me bisexuality isn't real, but I knew how I felt. I still haven't brought a girl home. 
I'm terrified of being rejected by those I love most because they don't like who I love. I'm terrified I wouldn't be able to bring a girlfriend to meet my niece and nephew. Nothing breaks my heart more than knowing my own blood can see love as anything to be angry about. I wish we had love stories of brown women falling in love without homophobia and race being the ultimate obstacle. I wish we could watch brown women fall in love with the same purity we devour romantic comedies. I wish I knew stories of women with sun-kissed skin falling in love over clear oceans exchanging red hibiscus. The only stories I know are filled with homophobia and racism. I hope one day brown women get to fall in love without the weight of this learned hatred resting between our shoulder blades. I am so blown away by Tea Tohere's response. When I first listened to it, I had goosebumps for three or four minutes straight. Tea pointed out that homophobia and transphobia is created by religious colonization, a theme which you will hear multiple times throughout this podcast because it's true. We are islands that have been colonized successfully. Some of us since the 1600s by way of religion and religious missionaries. Recently, missionary statues have come under intense scrutiny with the Black Lives Matter protests because, like Confederate statues in the U.S., why should we, who are living in our islands, oppressed under modern colonial rules, continue to glorify these statues? Some of these people have killed, raped, murdered our people. Why? Glorifying the historical figures while being disconnected from the history of what those people actually did to tame our ancestors is sick. Religion is how our colonizers, such as the Spanish, French, British, and Americans, have managed to preside over us and keep us in check according to their standards of whiteness and civility. Keep in mind that this is another country's version of civility which we are living and have been accustomed to live in for hundreds of years. This is not ours. Being queer is okay as long as you are not in their family, is what Tea said. This is another more silent, less direct form of prejudice because it's still carrying those views and spreading them among the family, but keeping it quote-unquote within the family, where they think it doesn't have an effect because everybody in this household is straight, right? You might not know. And by pushing that narrative onto your kids... You might never know. Feminine women tend to be hypersexualized. Thea says, as though our love is free pornography. While gay and trans people are brutalized in many Pacifica places, we are of the Pacific. One sea connecting our love in the current, is what she said. So beautiful. It's so true. Never forget that. She mentions that she is terrified of being rejected of the person she loves not being welcome in her family's home. I don't know how that feels. I feel that this is a tough discussion to navigate because other cis-hetero people like myself only live in this moment for a short while when we are wondering if our parents or family would like the person we're with. People of other sexualities, meanwhile, suffer in this moment. Their lives are sometimes predicated by this moment. 
and this moment might not even be achievable to many of them due to colonial influence and religion being such a part of our upbringings and embedded into our cultures. Teatere still has not brought home a girl. Acceptance is something that humans crave, and being unaccepted in our Pacifica communities is so harmful to ourselves and our identities because our communities and cultures are so close-knit. Banishment or willful abandonment is usually what ends up happening, and that is a very sad reality. I'm sending out Chamorro anti-vibes to everyone who identifies with Tea here, listening to this right now, and giving you the biggest 30-second hug with love. If you feel that you cannot be your authentic self around your family or community just yet, stay strong. The power of the Pacific is that we are resilient. You are resilient. Sainamaasi, Dea, for your beautiful contribution to this space. Yakwekwum, greetings to you all. May peace be on to you all. My name is Anthony Nanol Kaminaga, and I am here to cast my rainbow. I am here to share my perspectives and to echo out and express my thoughts with the Pacific and Teresa on why the ocean is hella gay. I come to you from the Marsha Islands, the Coral Atoll Nation, part of Micronesia. I know about the LGBT community because I yeti, I'm one of them. <laughs> and I'm proud of it. I identify as pansexual. In 2014, the Marsha Islands decriminalized laws against LGBT people. I know what you're thinking, party. Sorry, there's no party yet. We still need to fight for our basic human rights. The Marshallese LGBT community has been existent. They've been visible. We have been here for a very long time. As visible as we are, we're not always met with a friendly smile. Sometimes we're met with violence. And sometimes people don't want to meet us at all. A prime example to that is what society has been labeling LGBT people. What society only knows as MSM, men who have sex with men, as Giban. The Marshallese term for Giban is weakness. It's fragile. We have been labeled by society as weak and fragile. I haven't had the best luck in finding traditional terms that help us with our gender identities and sexual orientations. But trust me, when I do, I will shout it from atoll to atoll. The general public here only understands the LGBT community as cisgendered men who have sex with other men, trans women, or trans men. That's what they've been exposed to. Sometimes it scares people to want to understand who we are because we're so socially outcasted. They're afraid that they'll be outcasted too. It's such a taboo topic because religion plays so heavily in our lives. We have come to terms that not everybody will be on the same pace with us. So we are patient, we are praying, and we are filling the time in void with love when we're not met with love all the time. In 2017, while I was working for the Tourism Bureau here, Marsh Island's Visitors Authority, a friend of mine who identifies as gay had shared his ideas and thoughts on starting up a project under our NGO, Youth to Youth and Health. 
The project would focus on LGBT youth in the Marshall Islands. It would shed exposure and visibility to the LGBT community that thrives here and has been thriving here. It would share awareness on STI, STD, safe sex method, HIV, and AIDS awareness. It would also strengthen the dialogue needed for LGBT rights, LGBT activism, and LGBT advocacy here in the Marshall Islands. I worked on my first grant proposal, submitted the applications for Canada funds for local initiatives, and within months got approved. One problem that we faced was finding a project lead to do this. We wanted someone who was out and proud and preferably had thick skin. We gave it a week to find somebody. Suddenly the week flew by real fast. I didn't know what to do, neither did my friend. My friend couldn't take the position because he had already been the lead for another project. I then made the quick decision to become the project lead for what was now called Kumaramalak EIL, or in English, Brighten the Rainbow. Marshallese, hello, goodbye, and love is Yahweh. Yahweh is spelled I-A-K-W-E. To break it down, I-A-I-A means rainbow. K-W-E, we, means you. In literal translation, it means you are a rainbow. But in Marshallese interpretation, it means may peace be on to you. The reason why we had called it Brighten the Rainbow was because we wanted to brighten the rainbow of love that we shared to one another. We want to brighten the rainbow of peace that we bless onto one another. We want to brighten the Yahweh. From November 2017 to April 2018, we did what we had set out. We wanted to bring attention to the fact that LGBT Marshallese deserve the same rights as any other person. We deserve basic human rights. And we shouldn't be discriminated against just because of our gender identity or our sexual orientation. Those months were filled with so many tears, so much laughter. There was so much pent-up aggression. There was so much digging we had to do as we provided counseling, as we provided moments to allow our members to come out or come to be. We provided so much space and so much safety that we got to see people blossom. We got to see the rainbows truly brighten. It was such a journey. Um, it started off really rough as I anticipated it would. I had to come out all over again to my parents and it was well received from my mom but from my dad. It was met with him being just very nervous and hesitant. And it was mainly because he was worried about what would happen to me during the time I would do this. He was very worried. And although he told me how much he loved me and supported me, and I knew that deep down inside, he wasn't there physically. And for the months that it happened, he was radio silent. And he lives like really close to me. I thought the lack of support would drive me crazy, but I soon came into realization that the love that was taken away, it was provided from a different form. If it was taken away, it was brought back in. It was brought by a person, it was brought by an act. And 
throughout the months that we had done Brighten the Rainbow, it truly opened new doors for me to feel different kinds of love. I would relive it all over again. I could say confidently that Brighten the Rainbow did do wonders and it did make an impact with my people here in the Marshall Islands. It made such an impact that I was invited to the second Pacific Human Rights Conference that was held in Fiji. And I didn't know this until I guess I was on my way there. I was a keynote speaker on the opening day and I got to open it. It was it was great. I really wished my BTR family was there. Without them, I wouldn't have been able to reach so many people that needed the rainbows in their lives. And it really wasn't just me. Brighten the Rainbow, it started the dialogue on the general awareness within households. More people started to truly figure out where they stood on the spectrum. And parents started talking to their children more about their sexual identities and how they want to express themselves. And just hearing it and actually getting to see some of it was so amazing. There hasn't been much activity going on recently, and I feel very crappy about it. But we're trying our best to start it back up or to come at it from a different angle. We here in the Marsh Islands still need to talk about this. We still need to express our LGBT rights, and we still need to figure out how we can achieve our rights. We always stumbled back to maybe who I am is not who I'm supposed to be. Maybe this was a mistake. And what I love about my culture is that we come from a very colorful story. We come from a very poetic beginning. Our almighty God, Loa, had his twin sons create people and animals on land and in the sea. But the problem was about creating people and the animals on the land and the sea was that they still had no way to be different or to tell one from another. So the twin brothers had come together. One would take an animal, name them, pass them on to his twin brother, who would then paint them. When they had painted the animals and named them, they would put them to where they belonged. And afterwards, they would do the same to the humans. We were covered in tattoos because it was to follow the paintings and patterns of the animals. And after each person was made, the twin brothers would remind us, this is who you are and this is how we created you. Take who you are to the death of you. Take it to your ending as it is your beginning. I want to remind our people, especially our LGBT people, our youth, that if you're feeling lost or if you feel like you don't know who you are yet, you will find that place soon. From the moment our people started, you were set out to be who you were and you were supposed to take it with you throughout all your life. The reason why we had used that story is because if it was hard for our members, even ourselves, to remember that who we are is who we were meant to be, and they couldn't accept that from a religious standpoint, then they could probably understand it and respect it from a cultural standpoint, something that was 
before our time, something that we had passed down from generation to generation through word of mouth. Who you are is who you meant to be. You will always be you. My name is Anthony Nenol Kaminaga, and I was one of the co-founders of Kamaramalak EIO. I come from the Marshall Islands, Island Gainar, Jolet Tenani, Lole Lavalap, and I am here to remind you that I am taking a step further to brighten the rainbow, and I hope I am able to brighten yours too. May peace be on to you. Yawai. Happy Pride. Awesome. Nenol uses the word rainbow a lot because it is actually a part of his culture's greeting, his culture being the Marshallese culture. Nenol mentions that the only term that his culture uses can be used to describe cisgendered men who have sex with other men, and it means weak. This echoes what you will hear later in another story. Why are the terms for queerness within our languages so derogatory? The queer community is now actively working to educate others on these terms, but I would fully support them reclaiming their identifiers within the language for themselves. What has been lost may not come up again, but what can be gained is so much. Nenol mentions that women in the queer community of his culture are underrepresented, a sentiment shared by almost every other contributor, actually. Hmm, I wonder why. He also mentions that religion plays such a heavy role in the lives of Pacifica people, which is true. I think that if there is a way that we can maintain our close ties with our religions while being protected and educated on colonization, you know, more power to those people. Neno mentions iakwe, which means you are a rainbow or may peace be unto you. This is such a beautiful saying. He also described his struggle and hardship and happiness in being a part of a queer Marshallese organization called Brighten the Rainbow which provided a safe space for queer Marshallese to just be accepted and supported and had representation in the Pacific at the Pacific Human Rights Conference in Fiji. Also, homosexuality was decriminalized in the Marshall Islands as recently as 2014. That, that's, I mean, we're making strides, but it still feels like baby steps. Baby steps are better than nothing. See, here's the thing. Many people will say that they are about being allies or, or supporting their community if they are part of the queer community. But if there's no place to provide that allyship or support and no spaces provided by organizations for queer people to feel that support, then everything is disconnected. What Nenal did by starting an organization within his heavily religious community and culture to provide this safe space is the kind of action that needs to be taken. He walked that talk. I would love to see it. Unfortunately, if the people of a place are preoccupied with trying to just exist, go to work, put food on the table, take care of the kids, pay for the rent then organizations like this are harder to come by because everyone's just busy. I think that this is why, among other reasons, of course, these organizations are not more common. 
though I wish they were. For your education into your culture and providing your beautiful view on life and your story. Now that you've heard that, how about we take a break for a minute before coming back to this? Hafide, this is Senator Regine Bisco Lee. Pride Month is a reminder that we must recommit ourselves to shore up the victories and progress that we and others have worked so hard for, and to be vigilant and united in talking about the importance of equality, not just for ourselves, but for our kids and our loved ones who may not feel supported or able to fight for their rights. Remember, love is love. Biba Pride, Biba Guam. Aloha mai kako, ngayong bagnal daw. Kamusta to everyone? My name is Bryant. I am a Filipino immigrant born in Manila with roots in northern Luzon. I'm now living as a settler in the occupied kingdom of Hawaii. And before I start, I just want to say agyamanak for this opportunity. Agyamanak is an Ilocano term for thank you, but more specifically, it means I treasure this or my value is now greater because of my experience with you. In response to the question of how much do I know about LGBTQ plus rights within my culture, I've decided to write a letter, perhaps to my past self, hoping that the children of the Pacific and everyone listening to this can resonate with my story. It feels like looking back to my past and also looking forward to the future. I write this on a quiet Sunday afternoon, basking under the solstice sunset on the west side of Oahu. I've always loved doing this as it makes me feel like I'm looking back to the motherland and looking back to my past. I knew as a kid that I was different. I've learned to hold back the nuanced revelation of my femininity. The simple flares of my pinky finger and the way I belted my heart will go on after Titanic came out. I sang the hell out of that song, but I was told to stop. Being queer has no space in my large family, and people saw it before I did. So they made comments about my actions before I even knew they were not allowed. I was 13 when I realized I'm attracted to men. Out of fear, I always pray that there's another gay boy in my class, someone more flamboyant, so the attention is on them. And now I regret using another body, another soul, as a shield, because I was afraid. Gays and queer folks are tolerated in the Philippine society because they serve a purpose as comedians in television, as entertainers, as hairstylists, so on. Same-sex marriage is still not allowed in a predominantly Catholic country. We can exist, but we must remain in a small box. I've learned that tolerance is a double-edged sword. We're allowed to live and walk the streets, but we're expected to toughen up and soak in all the homophobia, the transphobia, the misogyny. They've always been intertwined. It's the same reason why Filipina and Filipinex have faced oppression all these years, subject to gender-based violence, discrimination, and poverty. I see myself as a queer person looking at the eyes of patriarchy and being seen as weak and deserving of the body given to me. 
I want you to know that it was not always like this. Our ancestors, much like our cousins in the Pacific, revered queer folks in pre-colonial Philippine communities. The existence of trans women was well documented, embracing their roles as leaders, the bridge between the mortal and spiritual worlds. They were the Babaylans and the Catalonan. They were the healers and cultural experts. They were allowed to have husbands, and they were seen as authority figures next to Raha and Datu. We worshipped Lakapati, the goddess of fertility, and they said she is androgynous, transgender, or perhaps intersex. Our ancestors prayed to her for bountiful harvest, for nourishment and guidance. Men who dressed like women were called Bayogin. It is a species of bamboo, and we were seen as a natural part of the world. We were never seen as outsiders. When the Spaniards came, our ancestors were forced to adopt Western gender roles. The power of women diminished, and so is the right of queer folks to exist. Gay men were called bakla, a new word which means confused, weak, something temporary, something we can grow out of. You need to know that our fight is not a modern invention. You and your hunger for liberation as an LGBTQ plus person is the silence voice of our ancestors. I want you to know that your freedom as a queer person is also the freedom of our people. I hope that this short history will help you start unravel, and when you do so, we are here. Free yourself of hatred because it was never yours, and learn how to embrace the love because you were always destined to have it. It is the beauty of things, the reason of resilience. You deserve to be seen and heard, to be protected, to be safe, even if there is no war, to ripple when you're not allowed to root because you are a child of the ocean after all. Thank you, Bryant, for that tearful and heartfelt letter to your past self. I hope that many who hear his story resonates. Bryant knew as a kid that he was different. People he knew saw his queerness before he did and made hurtful comments. In that way, and many others, queer people are often called out before they are comfortable with the idea of being queer, while they are still exploring their differences. If this happens at a young age, it could cause many to hate themselves or wish that the attention could be focused on others, and it just does so much harm to young Pacifica people who are still developing their identities. Bryant says that same-sex marriage is not allowed in the Philippines. Queer Filipinos are only tolerated and receive homophobic remarks, gender-based violence, and constant discrimination on top of poverty. He says that queer people are seen as weak. The label of bakla means confused. You know, actually, growing up, I had never known that this was a slur because it was said so matter-of-factly around the people that I had heard say that word, and I had never questioned what it meant until I met Bryant. So I really appreciate this knowledge. He also mentions that in the history of the Philippines, his people had once referred to men who cross-dressed as bayogin, a species of bamboo. So natural. The differences in how queer Filipinos are seen now are due to heavy and intense colonization where the Spanish colonizers imposed their religious views on Filipino indigenous people on top of everything else they did to them. 
Thank you for educating us on queer Filipino history, Bryant, and thank you for your contribution to this important conversation. Hello, Ali and Ungil Silsen Mergitalurgui. My name is Shah Marire Ongalungal. I am a Palawan American born and raised in Portland, Oregon, and I am currently a settler on the island of Oahu. I will be sharing a little bit about my experience around LGBTQIA+, as far as it being how I identify. I should also put in a disclaimer that my upbringing is very anomalous. I think of myself as an anomaly within an anomaly within an anomaly. Pacific Islanders were kind of an anomalous community amongst everyone, particularly in the United States. Micronesians being a small community in that group. Palauans being a small community in that group. And then I'm just an unusual case. So this is very much just my experience and my thoughts and how I see things. I did not have an aha moment as far as it pertains to liking boys and girls when I was young, except in the manner of, aha, I think this is weird. And it wasn't anything that particularly phased me. I was very young when I remember saying that I wanted to marry Cindy Lauper and Boy George, but I never thought anything of it. Fast forward to age 18, I've graduated from high school. I didn't really start dating until after high school, so it never occurred to me to talk about my sexuality or who I'm attracted to. It just, I didn't think it was anyone's business and I didn't think it was interesting. But in my early 20s, I did move in with my partner who was a woman and again, I didn't talk to anyone about it. Um, my personal life, my social group, all of that was away from my family. But my father being the man who essentially made me, raised me, and is the reason I'm a functional human being today, he knew without me ever saying. And I have a whole Twitter thread that I retweet every June with my whole coming out story, which is much longer than I really have time to share here. For the time I lived in the United States, up until I was 28, it was not a big deal. There were Palauans in the community who are very religious and they had things to say. And my father always defended me. My mother always defended me. So I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't until I lived in Palau when my father's brother showed up at the home that my grandfather left to my other uncle um, with an axe uh, screaming at me and my partner who was in the house. We lived with my uncle at his request screaming running around the house with an axe, yelling, like, get rid of her, kick her out. She's married to a woman. And that was a little bit less than fun. But that was my first really big experience with my sexuality being a problem. I, I have extended family who have a ministry and fellowship. And it's just a thing nobody talks about openly, except for an older cousin who wanted me to repent and give my testament because everyone loves me and wants to help me through this problematic time in my life. But the time I was living in Palau, I didn't know when I had moved there when I was 28 that 
homosexuality was actually on the books a crime. And it wasn't until after I left. I left September 2014, October 2014, they decriminalized homosexuality. And it wasn't necessarily that they were going out of their way to be progressive. It was just kind of a result of them going through and trying to kind of clean up the penal code. But I have been in the rainbow community for the better part of maybe a decade and a half actively. And so I made it a point to be loudly queer in Palawan spaces, much to other people's discomfort, and I enjoy it. I'm a firm believer in discussing the things that people don't want to discuss, things that are oftentimes taboo, because the things that we often say are taboo are things that become social issues, that become problems, things that cause trauma in families and people's lives. And I'm not okay with that. I was brought up to not be okay with that. And so I ended up talking about it on radio stations in Australia. I went to Sydney um, as a delegate for the Young LGBTI Conference in 2016 um, as a delegate from Palau. I mean, there's definitely been marked improvement since when I first set foot in Palau and since I first really started paying attention to views in the community, but we have a long way to go. I notoriously report homophobic behavior in Palau on Facebook groups. And I do this all with um, parental support and consent. And so I go and I upset people and I shake things up a little bit. I consider myself a professional rabble rouser. So I'm basically willing to get in trouble to make a point and to help other Palauans in the community feel more comfortable in their skin and to let them know that it's difficult, but you can live through that. And that's my story. Thank you for this opportunity to share it with you. Shaw, who has roots in Palau, runs a podcast actually called Shaw Nanigans. I will include the link to her YouTube channel in the show notes. You can also find her on Twitter at Shaw, S-H-A underscore Merire, M-E-R-I-R-E-I to see her drag some races. It's so entertaining. Shaw refers to herself as an anomaly, putting us out there as an anomalous community within the U.S. So, an unconventional upbringing for an unconventional person. She kept her personal life and her work life separate from her family, and because she had never really thought about her sexuality in a way that was critical before, That was how she was able to live her best queer life, separate from her family. In Palau, I'm sure you could tell that family is so important. Familial ties are very important, but but her dad being her dad and her family being the ones who can't be messed with or are unfazed, they gave Shaw the support that she needed to be outspoken. They gave her permission to be a rabble rouser. It had never occurred to her until she was in her 20s that her sexuality would ever be a major problem in her homeland. So that's a very interesting thing to think about. She mentioned that homosexuality was decriminalized in Palau as late as 2014. Just like the Marshall Islands. That's so crazy. That was only six years ago. We Pacifica still obviously have a long ways to go, but we are catching up. 
Also, I highly recommend that you check out Shaw's coming out thread on Twitter. I have posted it to the Deep Pacific Pod Twitter page. So please find us on Twitter at Deep Pacific Pod and you'll be able to read it. It's a very good story. I highly recommend it. Sainama Asian, thank you so much, Shaw, for your important Palawan American perspective. Hafa day, everyone. This is Tomas, and I would like to give this special shout out to all my queer Pacifica people. I apologize that I couldn't be on this episode for this week. I still have a lot of things to figure out myself, but I would like to let everyone know that I completely 100% support all queer Pacifica people. I know it feels as if we don't exist in our communities, but we do. I know you exist. I see you. You are valid. You are more than enough. Biba Pride. Hafidi Rananim. My name is RT Anu. I am Chiggies and Chamorro. However, I was born and raised on Guam by my Chamorro mom. You know, I have been in reflection mode throughout the day, just reflecting on how my culture reflects on my identity as a gay man. Being raised by my mom, she has always instilled love and acceptance early on in my life with my brothers and sisters. I remember something that always bothered her was whenever we introduce each other as, oh, this is my stepbrother and this is my stepsister, she'd always be upset and she'd correct us and say, this is not your stepbrother, this is not your stepsister, this is your brother and this is your sister. And I know now that that was my mom's way of not allowing us to announce differences in each other. You know, another very important cultural value that has really helped me with who I am as a queer man is keeping my extended family close-knit. I did have an openly gay cousin who we called Edward or Eduardo on his sassy days. I know now that just acknowledging him by his name means tremendous things to him, especially coming from his family. Uh, I remember when I was old enough to fully, 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 fully accept and appreciate my homosexual blessing. It was late at night and I heard my sister come out of her room and I was so infatuated by my Aikido sensei. I think my infatuation for him was really like intense, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, nothing else existed except making sure that I go to Aikido just so I can see him. And this was supposed to be like a over the summer thing that my father had put me into, right? But I begged him, I was like, please let me extend, let me go throughout the school year. And, and I did genuinely enjoy going to Aikido, but I had an enticing thing there, you know? So I remember coming out to my sister, honestly not even coming out. I remember setting my sexuality in stone. I was like, I'm gonna set this shit in stone tonight. And I did, uh, I just, I went up to her and I said, hey, this is kind of cool. I'm, I just need to tell you that the reason why I am so into Aikido is because I am so infatuated with my sensei. And she looked at me and, you know, 
her response, her response is just so important to me because it wasn't neglecting to me. I guess she didn't disown the thought that I was in love with a man. She hit me with the truth and was like, I think you need to pay attention to Aikido or get out. <laughs> like she, she wasn't thrown back. She made what could have easily been the most frightening experience in my ninth grade year. She made it so easy and I am so blessed to have her as my best friend. I never really struggled with being gay and I am very humbled by that. And I always, always, always considered my sexuality as my blessing. It's something that makes me who I am. I know for sure that because I am so in love with my truth, I am able to love others easily, regardless of sexual orientation, of race, um, of religion, of stance in society, political views. None of that matters when I am in a room with people. So I guess this is me ending my almost 4 a.m. preaching. But before I end, I do want to say Kerosu Taplin and Sainamasi to all of you listeners for allowing us this beautiful space and opportunity to share our story. And I do wish to end with lyrics from one of my favorite Chamorro artists, who is also a very popular Catholic um, singer. I think it's cool that he's Chamorro. So I leave you with this. When pain and confusion seem endless, hold on to love. When terror and fear overwhelms us, hold on to love. When violence seeks to destroy us, hold on to love. When hatred is used to divide us, hold on to love. When prejudice poses as freedom, hold on to love. There is a season of gladness. We cultivate healing through kindness. Courage and faith will sustain us. Acts of compassion will restore us. Wisdom and truth reunite us. Dignity means all are welcome. Hold on to love. Artie mentioned that he was raised by a strong, loving, and inclusive mother. She is his rock. And it seems by the way he described his family that she passed those values down to her children by the way his sister treated him coming out to her. He said he set his sexuality in stone in high school by admitting to his sister that he was infatuated by his Aikido instructor. She responded with a typical tough love, very big sister-like response. And that touched him because it wasn't really a big deal to her. You could tell that it meant the world to him as a high schooler. And you know what I noticed? It's like the human experience, right? When you hit puberty, whenever that is for you, that you start to see where your sexuality plays out. That is the time that kids should be the most experimental. Many identities are formed during this critical adolescent time. Just like we talked about in episode one of Deep Pacific on the topic of identity. 
during this time across all these podcast episodes and stories you've heard so far, did you notice that identity development, familial ties, sense of community, sense of culture, all of these are Pacifica experiences and are what forms our identity, diaspora or not. Imagine all of this at play in your adolescence and then on top of that, you're queer. Ooh, wow. I feel for you. I really do. But I digress. RT mentions his openly gay cousin being acknowledged by his chosen name from his family. This is something that is so important to any queer person, especially a Pacifica queer person, as our familial ties are so important. So RT says because he views his sexuality as a blessing, he's able to love others easily, no matter their circumstances. When I heard this part, I almost cried, y'all. I really almost did because I know RT in real life. He's so hardworking, incredibly upbeat, exudes Hoffaday spirit in the purest of forms. I have always seen RT as a loving human from the time we first met last year. Ooh, I am hyping him up so much here. I don't know if he's single. But I also think RT's sexuality is a blessing because it forms such a crucial part of his truth. And side note, he mentions that political views don't stop him from loving someone. And I must say that for me in the choice of a life partner, they definitely matter to me. But they don't have to be the same. You know what I mean? I'm looking at all of you people with a red hat. I'm looking at you to think about what that stands for. I don't agree. Another thing that I think should be relevant here is that RT grew up in a household that was religious. So he grew up loving his religion, describing his sexuality as his homosexual blessing, ending with lyrics from a Chamorro artist and religious singer, Jesse Manabusan, who's linked to that song I will provide in the show notes. You should definitely listen to it. It's beautiful. The words, hold on to love, are also sung in churches. So Artie's perspective is actually very unique because his love for his religion made his interpretation of it to be inclusive. And although not everyone can interpret their religions that way, if you can find a way for your life to coexist and include your religion, you know, don't let go. Like I mentioned before, the theme of our cultures is our close familial ties and how important they are to us and our communities in contributing to our overall sense of self, our belonging, our identity. Saina Maasi again, RT, for your important point. I hope next time I get to hear you sing those beautiful lyrics, though, because I know you can sing. Hafadeh, Guahu Si Rokin. I was raised in Jigo, but spent a number of years in the Salish Sea, aka Washington State. I primarily identify with my Chamorro lineage, but I also have ties to lands now known as the Philippines, China, Mexico, France, and Spain, and who knows where else. I'm a multimedia artist, although you'll mostly catch me weaving and writing poetry. So the following goes to the question. How much do you know about LGBTQ people, their rights, or how they get treated within your culture? In the Chamorro culture, there is no known special treatment for queer people. We were allowed to marry Poksai children, meaning to take them in as our own, and all of that. If anything, we were judged based upon your skills and contributions to your community. 
However, I will say that there seems to be a correlation between people of diverse sexualities and genders and important roles in society. Roles such as healers, mitigators, cultural keepers, spiritual bridges, etc. Not just in the Chamorro context, but with many indigenous cultures around the world. Colonialism has changed all of that, intentionally. All you need to do to erase history in a culture carried by oral tradition is silence the people. And when you want to erase a group of people from a culture, you leave them out of the conversation. How are people of different gender identities treated within your culture? Trans and non-binary are Western colonial articulations. Nonetheless, people understand trans more than non-binary. I have an aunt who's trans and she also participates in the art of drag. There was a big rift between her and the family when she first came out and started to transition. Years passed and one year, during her great-grandmother's famous Three Kings fiesta, she came back. When she saw my aunt, she asked, Is that really you? The real you? My aunt replied, Yes, this is me. Gram-Gram then asked, Are you happy? To which my aunt says, Yes, I am. Gram-Gram took a second, and all she said was that that's all that matters. I think about oftentimes we're afraid to come out or afraid to share with our family the things that we're discovering about ourselves, afraid of what they might say or do. And sometimes it can be pretty surprising. How are people of different sexualities treated within your culture? I feel like gay men are often seen as just entertainment, especially the more effeminate ones. I can't speak upon the lesbian experience, but I'm told there are many jokes at their expense, as well as a hypersexualized gaze. Same for bisexual and pansexual people. It's a mix of embracement, both of them as the people they are, but also the ideas of who they are. And it feeds into each other. We grow up learning that the road ahead is bumpy and is different than what was wanted for us. So we try to find ourselves in the stereotypes that are associated with us. And that offers a sense of belonging. And isn't that something we all yearn for? What do you position yourself in relation to these groups within your culture? Does your culture have space or words in the language for those people? To my knowledge, and to the knowledge of most people, there is no real definition or term um, or name for sexual and gender diversity in Fino Chamorro, probably because it was never stigmatized in the way that it is today. Guinaiza has always been Guinaiza. Love has always been love. Today we have some derogatory words, such as galette, which is how I identify. It's usually used when those that are being raised as boys are being too flamboyant. For me, it's claiming a space for us in the Chamorro world as it lives today. I draw empowerment from it, just as people use queer, gay, and all the other words that haters used as weapons against us. Do you think this needs to change? How do you want your culture to change to include people of different gender identities as well as people with diverse sexualities? Being able to see one another, and I mean truly see one another, is an ability that we constantly have to work at. But in the end, it's what helps all of us.
to help with that, I think we need more stories from ones of personal experience to ones injected into our mythology. Stories that are multidimensional and speak to our islands and waters, sharing pain to release it and hold each other accountable, sharing hope to drive the future and allow us to dream together. Since they erased our past, we gotta be damn sure to secure our place in the future. So this response is kind of to like what I would like to give as a message to people in our community. There's so much we don't know and there's so much we are made to feel ashamed of, but we're still here. Hearts beating and lungs breathing. And we should not be ashamed of who our hearts beat for. We should not be afraid of speaking ourselves into existence. You deserve to be safe. You deserve healing. You are worthy of love. You're not alone. You are in your ancestor's image and you are sacred. All right. So right off the bat, Rakin mentions that queer people tend to play important roles in society, similar to what Bryant said about the roles of queer indigenous Filipinos formerly held before colonization. As queer people in many cultures were revered or held places in society as connectors or bridges between certain worldviews, in Chamorro society, I don't know how queer people were perceived in ancient society, but today, luckily, it is not uncommon to see a queer person holding an important position, which is great. On the other hand, Rakin also mentioned that colonialism changed the dynamics of how queer Chamorros got treated in society by leaving them out of the conversation. We still have a ways to go. I feel also like many times Chamorros are more accepting of lesbians when they have a more male appearance and change their style and clothing to that effect. But I also get the feeling that some Chamorros don't necessarily believe that feminine lesbians are not bisexual, which is effed up. As for gender identities, Rakin mentions that people understand trans people more than non-binary people. I really wouldn't know also how my culture could react to a gender-fluid individual who switches multiple times. He tells the heartfelt story of how his aunt, who was trans, came out and got acceptance from Rakin's grandmother. In Chamorro culture, acceptance from elders or manamku, the sainas of the family, can make or break that family. This is great when you have an accepting saina, but not that great when they're a conservative saina. He mentions that often Chamorros or queer people are afraid to share their authentic selves with their family or share that they're experimenting. It is still somewhat taboo, so this is something we're working on as a culture to improve. Now that more people are becoming aware of the queer community presence and how colonization via religion has affected their upbringings, I'm honestly hopeful for the positive change I think that could come out of this. But... I'm not naive enough to think that seeing gender-fluid individuals better represented wouldn't also have consequences. Still pretty hopeful, though. Rakin mentions the saying, Gwinaiza has always been Gwinaiza. Gwinaiza means love. And he also mentioned that Gela refers to when those being raised as boys are flamboyant. You know, it's interesting because I have never heard the word Gela before. I came from a traditional Catholic family in Saipan, in CNMI, so... 
Tu Rakin, the word Gela, claims a space in the Chamorro world for people like him, and he draws power from claiming that word. Hell yeah, more power to you all. He mentions that to change the narrative and be more accepting, we must have stories of multidimensional people. Stories that are inclusive. Well, you have definitely come to the right podcast. He wants more inclusivity in mythology and in stories in general. And that's great because right now there are a ton of Chamorro authors and writers that are emerging and finding their voice. And hopefully these stories do become more common. Sainam Asi Rokin for contributing your important perspective as a Gela Chamorro to this episode. Sainam Asi for having me on the pod, for hearing me out. Um, you can follow myself, see how I weave and embody regalia, as I like to say, at Rock and Rokin on IG. That's R O C K I N underscore R O Q U I N. I do have a Chamorro drag account. You can follow her at Cinnamon on IG. That is at S I N dot A M E N. Um, also on Twitter at Needs of Nasty. That's N I Y O K underscore N A S T Y. And again, that's on Twitter. You can also follow Gumagela on Instagram. We are a Chamorro art collective representing Lagua Zangani. We like to say part land, part sea, all ancestry. We have a zine coming out for Pride, Guiza Zan Pus Pus. Again, follow us on IG to stay updated. That's at G U M A underscore G E L A. Yerana, hello, Talofa, bonjour. My family has always been extremely open-minded. They gave me the gender and sexuality talk early on in life, following the advice of the many queer friends they have. So huge shout out to those friends, to my grandma, my mom, and my dad. Thank you for making my life easier, for making me feel safe, and for letting me explore myself as much as I needed to. I also want to thank all the people sharing their experiences in this podcast. I can already see how your stories and voices will resonate deep within my ESL students' lives back in Tahiti. As for people in society right now, I just wanted to say that honestly, there is no reason for you to obsess over other people's sense of self and sense of love. So here we are. So although I had originally planned to contribute something to this episode, I felt like I would prefer to give more space to queer Pacifica voices instead um, but I did want to mention that I position myself as an ally and as an ally I should know more about and be sensitive to the queer community's preferences which is another reason why I constantly check myself with my friends to make sure that I'm not being willfully ignorant. I will admit this has happened in the past and I wish I could apologize to people who I may have hurt with my comments or behavior. I'm still learning things till this day and I am very grateful for the opportunity to be able to lead this conversation today. I wish that other queer Pacifica people could be more accepted, especially within the auntie and uncle spaces for their strength and contribution to our societies. I wish that queer people could be strong without the need to be strong. I wish that we could hold them up 
but not because we've been holding them down. I wish that they could be treated as equals so they don't have to worry another day about acceptance and jeopardizing their family relations for just being who they are. Can I just also say that I loved how so many people began with land acknowledgements just because? I love that that's becoming more of a thing. I also am in love with the poetic way that some of our contributors have taken to speak their truths. Poetry and music are universal and important in Pacifica spaces. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this important conversation. Let's take a break, and when we come back, I will be going over a paper on clinical research studies and how big our cut of the pie is in America when it comes to funding. Tweet us at Deep Pacific Pod to share your views or any thoughts you may have or who you related to the most. I would love to hear from you. Today's paper that we are discussing is entitled Trends in Clinical Research, Including Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Participants, funded by the U.S. National Institutes of Health between 1992 to 2018. So this paper was published in 2019 by Lan Don, Yumi Takata, Carolyn Sakuma, Veronica Irvin, principal investigator or the first author is Lan Don. She is a postdoctoral fellow now at the University of New York. Her research focuses on racial and ethnic health issues within Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander populations. This study looked at all of the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander-focused clinical research projects conducted in the U.S. that were funded by the U.S. National Institutes of Health, which is one of the biggest funders of federal public health research in the U.S. over the span of 26 years, basically within my lifetime, from January 1st, 1992 to December 31st, 2018. Clinical research funded under research project grants, centers, cooperative awards, research career awards, training grants, and fellowships were included. In this time, it was found that 529 clinical research studies focused on participants like us, and those composed 0.17% of the total NIH budget over 26 years. So let me just put that into perspective. Out of this 100-piece pie of the NIH budget over the last 26 years, we got 0.17% of one slice. Wow, so much funding. Projects studying Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander individuals, in addition to other populations, were funded across 17 NIH institutes and centers. Funding of these projects made up 0.17% of the overall NIH expenditures between 1992 and 2018, and 0.18% of the NIH research budget after the year 2000. So this paper and this work, honestly, is important because if we don't know how many studies are being funded, how would we know whether we are being prioritized? Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander populations represent more than 50 countries 
or cultures of origin, and over a hundred different languages. And we are the fastest growing racial and ethnic group in the United States. Keep in mind that that loops us in with Asian Americans. You know, so although there are Asian Americans that I would consider Pacific Islanders, such as Filipinos, there are certain Asian Americans that I would not consider Pacifica you know, from China and other places like that. So although it's showing that we are the fastest growing racial or ethnic group in the U.S., take it with a grain of salt because we are being counted with Asian Americans. The prevailing stereotype that all of us put together, our model minority populations, has resulted in data equity efforts negatively affecting subgroups of these groups, such as Vietnamese people or Samoans. Data equity is the need for high-quality, disaggregated racial or ethnic data to capture disparities and underlying social factors associated with health needed to develop evidence-based solutions that inform public policies. What does this mean? So it means that what we want to do is we need to disaggregate racial and ethnic data. We need to take it apart and not put us all in one big group, kind of like what they did with Filipinos You know, we need to be separated from everyone. Even within the Pacific Ocean, we would need to have separate names for people's races and ethnic groups because although I'm somewhat against labels, without those labels, you won't know that people from the Marianas have higher cholesterol, higher rates of diabetes, higher rates of gout than people from perhaps Taiwan. And if you didn't know that, then you would group them all in the same group, and in reality, everybody is different. Social factors that make us diabetic, that make us have gout, that make us have cancer, that make us more susceptible to certain diseases. Another thing the study found was that increases in research dollars for clinical research for our groups were actually not associated with increases in the overall NIH research budget and underrepresentation of our subgroups still remain. And without overt direction from federal entities and dedicated funds for health disparities research, as well as parallel efforts to increase diversity in the biomedical workforce, investments may continue to languish for Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander populations. So what does that mean? It means that even when we get more research for Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islanders, we are still underrepresented and our subgroups, such as Chamorros and Kanaka Maoli and Fijians, Samoans, Marshallese, Chukis, are still underrepresented. And without somebody in the feds telling people to count us in and putting money towards research into our health, as well as increasing the amount of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander diversity in the biomedical workforce, investments into our health are not going to happen. This study affects Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders greatly because, especially now with coronavirus, the health disparities and precarious positions of our people within the U.S., our colonizing country, have been exposed. Our diabetes, our gout, our comorbidities have been laid bare. In the Pacific, this study affects us 
because now we really get to see just how important we are to one of the largest funders of public health studies in this beloved country, the U.S. of A, colonizer of the Pacific. And in case you forgot, let me bring that up. Out of 100 pieces of pizza, money for research into our health has been less than one bite. 0.18% after the year 2000. 0.18. Almost 0.2. Wow. Currently, nothing can be done about this necessarily. This was more of just to see how much we mattered. I think advocating for Pacific Islander health and for Pacific Islanders to be separated as a dedicated ethnic group would be helpful. Although that would require direction to the federal government, which we, uh, I think, Last I checked, we're still colonized and they don't really listen to us, but um, I'll keep my eyes open. Future thoughts. I can imagine that data that really pinpoints all the different subgroups of Pacific Islanders would be very helpful to all of us around the world, especially diaspora, because it would show people more accurately how many of us there are. You know, there's a vibrant Chukis community in Minnesota. I bet that if they were to fill out the census, they would still have to check Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander, and then that's it. It ends there. There is no bubble within that saying Chukis for them to checkmark, but maybe one day that will change. All right, we have reached the end of episode three of Deep Pacific, a Pacifica podcast with Islander views and voices, specifically queer Islander views and voices, this episode. Our last episode was on language, a huge and evergreen topic which we will always be open to receiving contributions for. I received a number of comments on that episode, especially pertaining to the Chamorro language revitalization movement. The most memorable comment was from my baby brother, who is now 18, and I love that it spoke to him because he will now be in my shoes. He might be leaving the islands to go elsewhere and seek out some experience to hopefully bring back. And I hope that producing that episode on language makes him realize that language is culture. Our upcoming episode will be on another hugely important topic and just in time to miss the hot mess of fireworks that is July 4th, American Independence Day, and about a week before Guahan's Independence Day, which is July 21st, supposedly celebrating Guahan's liberation from Japanese occupation, which I have many thoughts on. Can you guess what this episode will be about? That's right. We needed to have this conversation. It's on decolonization because the Marianas, the Kingdom of Hawaii, and many other nations in the Pacific are still struggling to gain their independence under colonization. On top of everything else, or can we say that colonization affects everything else? Anyway, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Overcast, Podchaser, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. I would like to end with some affirmations that I find helpful when I am down. You are sacred. You are ancient. Your life is protected. 
Your life is important. Your heart is kind. Your heart is healing. Your spirit is strong. Your spirit is connected to nature and your ancestors. You are ready to accept what the universe and ancestors want to give. You are ready to accept the wisdom and guidance of tired Pacifica people. You are strong enough to hold this weight of colonization and culture. You are strong enough. You are strong. You are you. Sainamaasi for your attention. Thank you for listening. This episode was a joy to produce.